She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season two. Episode 13. Irresistible. So heads up, if you're like Chris Carter, or are Chris Carter, and this is your (laughs) favorite episode of the X-Files, you might want to skip this episode of I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Yeah. So that might be a little bit of a clue as to how we feel about this episode, but we'll, we'll go into yeah. it. Yeah, this episode yeah. is titled Irresistible. Maybe it's not. <laughs> so in this episode, Mulder and Scully travel to Minneapolis to help a local FBI agent after several graves are exhumed and the bodies are desecrated. The agent suspects connections to UFO-related cattle mutilations, but Mulder thinks it's just someone with a fetish. Scully has to grapple with her PTSD while Mulder is sure that the perpetrator is going to escalate to murder and needs to be stopped before anyone is hurt. Mm -hmm. This episode was written by Chris Carter and directed by David Nutter. It was filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia. And its original air date was Friday, January 13th, 1995. And it had a viewership of 14.7 million in the United States, which is down 1.5 million from last time. Also, last time, I had said that Aubrey was the most watched episode of The X-Files so far with 16.2 million viewers, just beating out Little Green Men and Red Museum, which each had 16.1 million viewers. However, that can be disputed if one is using the ratings, which are what advertisers use. Because despite the fact that ratings are actually the percentage out of all possible households with a television, And that number is actually updated every August and is different from share, which is the percentage of all households currently watching television at the time. So using those numbers, Red Museum would actually be number one with a 10.4 rating, followed by Little Green Men with a 10.3 rating and Aubrey with a 10.2 rating. I'm not sure how the percents can tell the opposite story of the numerators when the denominators are supposedly the same. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that all these numbers are extrapolations from what is honestly a very small and not really representative sample, in my opinion. And for some ridiculous reason, it has been allowed to control literally billions of dollars and what appears on televisions for uh, near on 70 years. So, yeah, anyway. I mean, I guess they need metrics from somewhere, and so they just use what they have. Yeah. Because <laughs> they yeah. have to justify, you know, add dollars somehow. So I guess that's, that's what they do. Yeah. Anyway, so this episode opens, and we're at a funeral. And there's a bunch of bouquets of flowers, and the camera pans around the room. We see flowers, 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 and we hear a young woman speaking. And then we see her, and she's wearing black, and she's crying, and she's giving the eulogy. And she's saying, we all love Jennifer. And as she speaks about how everyone's going to miss her, the camera pans to the open casket behind her. And Jennifer is a young, pretty blonde young woman wearing a little white lace dress and everything, just laying in the casket. So after the ceremony, the procession goes past the casket, everyone's stopping to view the dead young woman before they leave. And then finally, like the immediate family, like mom, dad, brother, sister, kind of, you know, 
get up. Mom's crying. They get up and they gather and they stand there for a little while. Look at the casket. And then we see a man in a black suit who works at the parlor. And we're going to learn his name is Donnie Faster. And he's kind of, you know, hanging back, letting the family do their thing. And the supervisor, Jackson Twos, informs them that the family's decided they want a graveside service. So the burial has been moved to tomorrow. And they're going to keep the body overnight. So after the family leaves, Donnie approaches the casket. And he kind of looks at Jennifer. And he strokes her hair. And he says, such a beautiful girl. And then he closes the casket. So downstairs in the mortuary, Twos walks past more caskets and he's got a popsicle and he's got a bunch of stuff and he sets the stuff down and then he hears something. And so he turns around and of course it's dark and then all the lights are basically out. And he's like, who's there? Who's there? And then up from behind one of the caskets, a suited figure appears. And then he still can't make out who it is because we just see it in silhouette. And he's like, who is it? Who is it? And as the figure walks out, it actually looks like some kind of demonic creature. It's like really tall and got like pointy ears and everything. And so Tuz is like, what, what, what? So he turns around and he flips on the light switches and we see it's just Donnie. Donnie's standing there. And so he's like, oh, okay. So, cause he's kind of shaking a little bit cause he wasn't sure what he was seeing. And he's like, what are you doing here so late, Donnie? And Faster says that he was working. I was working. And then Tuz looks down at faster's hands and he sees he has scissors in his hands and then there's like blonde hair on the floor all over the place so he goes over to the casket where donnie got up from and he opens the casket and jennifer's hair has been all like chopped up chop, 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 it's all messed up and there's like hair all laying in the casket and he's like you what have you done you're a freak get out of here and he chases them out of the building and he's like get out of here and don't come back he's like i should report you but just get out and then theme song yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he was kind of just giving her a cool 80s haircut, really. I mean, it, it mm -hmm. didn't look much different mm -hmm. than that. But, yeah. Twos is also kind of lucky because, like, it's not really the best plan to start yelling at someone you think is a freak when they're holding scissors. I mean, I call them stabbies. So, you know. Yeah. And then you can see Jennifer repeatedly breathing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to play dead. It's not easy. So They I could have not held her for so long. That would have helped. So yeah, I mean, do they don't hold need the to shot hold for a on long the time. body for so long. But yeah, it's hard yeah. to sit there and not breathe. So. Yeah, especially because you're not necessarily sure what part they're using a lot of times, I imagine. Right. So, so you, you just probably don't even hold know, your breath. Like... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you can't hold your breath forever. <laughs> but then, And then after you hold your breath for a while, you are going to have to breathe like probably repeatedly, especially if you're trying to not show that you're breathing. So, yeah. Yeah. So Mulder and Scully are following an agent through a cemetery and it's a rainy day and they've you know, Scully's got an umbrella and this agent is agent Mo box and he's from the local FBI office. And he got a call from the Minneapolis PD because they wanted the bureau to come out and take a look. And he's like, anything slightly freakazoid. That's the drill. They call Mo box. So I guess Mo box is kind of the Fox Mulder of Minneapolis <laughs> where something's weird. They call him and he's like, but this is actually wild in 22 years. I've never seen anything like it. So they arrive at a grave and it has dirt piled up high on both sides. And he got one look at the corpse and he said he called his friend Andy at MUFON. And apparently Andy knows of Mulder. And so Scully looks down into the grave and she sees the body in an open casket and her hair has been hacked away. And like the body's kind of bent over, like rolled over and her arms behind her back kind of bent funny. And Mulder asks why Box called MUFON. 
And Box is like, I wanted to see if there was any UFO activity in the area because the body's hair has been cut and the nails have been cut. And it kind of reminded me of like cattle mutilations. And so Mulder looks at the headstone and the headstone reads Catherine Ann Turrell, 1973 to 1994. And he says he hates to disappoint Bach, but this exhumation is not the work of aliens. Mulder's seen this kind of thing before when he worked at violent crimes. And he thinks whoever dug up the body probably just used a backhoe. And he tells Box he can probably find tracks to a garage nearby. And Mulder suspects the suspect probably doesn't work at the cemetery, but has likely worked at a cemetery or a mortuary at some point and possibly even gotten, quote unquote, busted while working there. And Box is actually kind of surprised to hear that Mulder doesn't think there's a UFO connection because obviously Mulder's the UFO guy. So, yeah, by busted, he means they got fired because, you know, places don't like to have that kind of news get out that they've got weirdos with bodies so yeah people as we saw bodies yeah people, people get kind of upset when you do things to their deceased loved ones bodies so not not cool and just for fun the prop people put the name raymond soames in the cemetery and obviously ray soames was a character in pilot yeah it is a completely different headstone although the date doesn't seem right because in pilot it seems to say 1971, 1993, which is actually a problem if you go back to the dates on pilot. Um, but it's hard to see because, like, I don't have access to that fancy enhance, enhance, enhance tech. But it's clearly 1971 and then 1990-something, I think. I think it's 1993. Um, but this one is 1971 to 1989. Right. I think they were just using the name for fun. Yeah, which wouldn't be the right dates because dates, they were yeah. all the class of 1989. But Ray Soames died. He was the first one to die of the class. Right. But he wasn't in 1989. And it wasn't in so. Minneapolis either. It was in Oregon. No, it wasn't. Yeah, so, they were just yeah. using the name, I think. Yeah, so it's a weird like a thing callback. to do for an in-joke. It's kind of not the best. In eh, I don't know. But, I think it's kind of fun when they do yeah. stuff like that. This one is go, heavy oh. on <laughs> them kind of throwing in the in-jokes. Yeah, the little callbacks. Yeah. yeah. So I do have a question for you. I've been looking at it. And do you think that Kathy was makeup or was she a prop? You know, I couldn't, it looked like it was probably an actress, but it was really hard to say. And her arm was bent kind of funny. So it might've been, we don't, I mean, it could have been either one. Honestly, I didn't look at it super close. Yeah. It looked really good. I didn't know. I tried to see like if that one was breathing, I didn't see any breathing. But they also don't linger on it as long. No. And if it was a prop, it was a really good prop. Right. So I'm yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards actor too, but I was just wondering what you thought. So yeah, I didn't look at it. So it was like Scully, I was kind of like, oh yeah. I mean, I being an actor is also a really good job <laughs> because like the makeup is really good, right? It does yeah. look like a, a corpse that's kind of not in the best condition, not like super decayed, but been there a couple months for sure. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was well done. So props there. We'll give you props when you deserve we'll it. Give the you X-Files. props for the props or <laughs> actor, whatever it ended up being. Yeah. The makeup, whatever it was. Good work. Good work, guys. Good job. I feel like we need to praise you when we can on this one. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So as they leave, Mulder asks Scully if she's okay because she hasn't been looking the best during this entire scene. And she tells him that she's read about cases of desecrating the dead before, but this is the first time she's ever seen it. And she asks why people do it. 
And he says, you know, some people collect salt and pepper shakers. Some fetishes collect hair and other things from the dead. He's not sure why. And then he quips that he's never really understood salt and pepper shakers himself. So, and then Scully is surprised that Mulder wasn't shocked by the state of the grave. And he says that he prepared himself before they left DC. Like he knew what he was, what was coming. And so they get in the car and Scully asked like, well, if you knew this was an UFO related from the start and because he'd already said that's pretty much what he did. She wants to know why they came all the way there and they aren't scheduled to fly out until tomorrow. And then he's like, boom, two tickets, Vikings versus Redskins, 40 yard line, you and me. Some older got football tickets for him and Scully to go on a date. Yep. Yep. So this is going to become more evident later in the episode. You know this. I know this. And you can't predict when or how someone's PTSD will manifest itself. But the whole Scully is now freaked out by dead bodies thing seems really weird considering the episodes that have occurred since One Breath. Yeah, I don't think she's freaked out by dead bodies. I think she's freaked out by what was done to these bodies and how they were like mangled and disrespected and desecrated. I think that's what's got her freaked out. Okay. Because I don't think it's the bodies themselves. Okay. I think it's what's being done to them. I actually like the PTSD stuff in this episode, I have to say. <laughs> oh. I like that Scully has to grapple with some of this stuff. I don't like other things they do, but I didn't, I didn't think this was bad. Uh, we'll get into it later, but anyway. So we see Faster, and he's being interviewed for a job, and he tells the interviewer that he grew up in the Twin Cities, but he's been away for a few years, which made me think, like, were you in jail? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. sort of implied. Yep. Yeah. And she asked what kind of work he was in before. And he says cosmetology. And then to kind of try and lighten the mood, he's like, if you don't mind me saying your lipstick is lovely. Is it Indian summer? And she smiles and kind of like, oh, yes, it is. And so that kind of warms the situation up a little bit. And he's applying to be a delivery man to put himself through school, he says. And she asked what he's studying. And he says he's going to be studying comparative religion and that he's very religious himself because she asked him if he's religious. And he's like, yes, very. And then she says, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but Mr. Ficicello, this is where he's applying at Ficicello's like food delivery service, I guess, is also religious. And he prides himself on the honesty of his employees. And then he asks if she could add that to his application and she gives him a little wink and says, sure, I could put a little note in there for you. Wink. So. Yeah. Because everyone knows secular people are filthy liars and dishonest jerks. Uh, yeah. But so are religious people. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, like there are a lot of people who operate like Christian businesses and do feel this way, which is unfortunate. But also it's kind of illegal to add that to your application. Or at least it is now. I don't know if it used to be. Uh, well. But it's a small company. I'm sure they're not following. It's a small company in a in the small little podunk town of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're at the FBI field office in Minneapolis, and Box is in his office, and he's got the football game on TV. And Mulder and Scully come in, and he apologizes that they had to miss their game, but they found more bodies dug up. And Scully asks if he got the forensic report back on the first body. So Box hands her the report and Mulder's like half watching the game. And Box says the perpetrator hacked the corpse's hair off with pinking shears. And he tells Mulder that two of the three bodies dug up in the last three days have had their hair cut. 
The third had its fingernails pulled out with what appears to be needle nose pliers. Yes. And if you're not aware, listeners, pinking shears are the ones that have the little zigzag on them for like cutting material. So you get that like diamond edge kind of thing going on. And that's why they're able to tell that they're pinking shears because it would leave that little zigzag pattern in the hair as well. Mm-hmm. So. so Scully flips through photos of the corpses and she sees one of them and like the face looks similar to hers, I think, kind of. And so it freaks her out and she closes. Well, it the actually, folder. it actually, it is hers. And then it goes back to the regular face. So, oh, so she sees her own face. Okay. Yeah. Well, she, she freaks out. And she closes the folder and she drops it on the desk and she leaves. So Mulder tells Box to issue an eyes-only memo to all law enforcement agencies in the metropolitan area, warning they may have an escalating fetishist on their hands. Security should be tightened around mortuaries, cemeteries, funeral homes, and hospitals should be notified as well. And he also thinks they should issue a story to the press that might be like warning of a possible stalker in the area. And Box is like, People around here still leave their doors unlocked. Why should we alarm folks if this guy's only preying on the dead? Like, it's gross, but, like, no one's in danger. And Mulder says the suspect's compulsion is growing, and he may resort to homicide to procure his corpses. And Box scoffs, and he says, like, I've been in the Great White North too long. And then he mentions, like, a case down in Milwaukee where a young man was killing boys, and no one wanted to believe that could be happening, which is a reference to Jeffrey Dahmer. And then he tells Mulder that they don't have the resources or the manpower to move on this with any speed. So he'll try and round up people, but it's a Saturday. It could be Monday or Tuesday before they get their ducks in the row. And meanwhile, Scully's kind of outside this area and she looks really disturbed. And so she like sits down on a bench and Mulder comes over and says they have work to do here and he's going to go ahead and cancel their flight out. And she's like, okay, and I'll be right here. And she still looks really haunted. Yeah. And as I referenced before, I'm not sure why they're playing Minneapolis as like some little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. I'm not sure what the deal is with that. Yeah. Like why it's like some like it's supposed to be some small town. So and then the comparison to the kid in Wisconsin wasn't exactly a case of no one believing it could happen as it was so much that no one cared about the victims because the majority of them were black and gay. So yeah. You want to read a really infuriating article from the New York Times, there'll be a link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, there. I think more than one of Dahmer's victims escaped and the police, but yes. one in particular, the one you're talking about. Yeah, well, the he was caught actually, because the another one that escaped with handcuffs on. Right, and so they were able um, to say something's going on. But like the yeah. first one, they just like returned the victim to Dahmer. <laughs> yeah, after and, Dahmer had, so, yeah, it was he was a Laotian immigrant and neighbors called because he was running down the street naked and was acting irrational. And so the police get him. And then Dahmer comes out and go like, oh, he's my boyfriend. We were just having a fight. And uh, the kid had a hole in his head mm-hmm. and was bleeding. And they were like, okay, gay white guy is more believable than gay Laotian immigrant guys. So here you go. And just well, like. <clears throat> the immigrant couldn't talk, I believe. Like he was well, yeah, because he had a he hole. He was all in his messed up. Yeah, Dahmer had already Dahmer poured had... like the acid stuff that he was using into his into his brain. So he was right. that's why he was irrational. Because right. Oh, I yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Not no, cool. I, it's not a good way to sum it up because a lot of that was homophobia and racism. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and then the police are just like wasn't our fault. We're trained to notice things that are out of the ordinary, and there didn't seem to be anything out of the ordinary in this case. Like, really? Yeah. 
Definitely a failure. We'll talk about failure of police and serial killers at the end. I have and lots of thoughts. Probably in lots of other times too. Yeah. So Scully is on her computer and she's researching various serial killers and their desecration of bodies. And in voiceover, she tells us that a complete profile of a death fetishist does not exist. And it's kind of because they don't exist. But anyway, we'll get into that too. Tori's going to have a story about that. So pathology can be traced from the fantasy stage to the acting out of impulses, including opportunistic homicide. So she tells us that Mulder believes, especially in this case, the suspect is escalating towards murder. Scully says it's easier for some to believe in aliens and UFOs than the kind of inhuman monster who could prey on the living to scavenge from the dead. Oh, God, awful writing. Anyway, interestingly, though, the only profile we see in full on Scully's Macintosh is that of a female serial child killer. And the general consensus is that female serial killers are more rare than males. So. And Mulder's eating noodles again, and he's using chopsticks. So Mulder likes sunflower seeds, and he likes noodles, and he knows how I to like use noodles. And I use so, chopsticks. Yeah, especially if you get them with like your Chinese takeout or whatever. Yeah. I mean, just noodles are the best. I don't like them with stuff in them. I just like just the noodles, just fried noodles, boom, and not the crispy oh, ones. They got to be. I don't like crispy fried noodles. Just like pan fried noodles. Yeah, yeah. I like them with some vegetables. It doesn't need to oh. have much else, but some veggies. I in have there. no use for vegetables. <laughs> so. So Faster is driving down a strip past buildings with neon signs and he pulls up to where there are a group of sex workers standing on the street and one bends down and asks if he's looking for a date and he says yes. So he takes her into an apartment and she shivers and she asks if he has any heat because it's freezing and he says the forced air unit is broken but I'd like to run you a bath and the sex worker looks like she just totally regrets her decision to come with this guy like completely her face is just like uh And in the bathroom, we see that Faster has like a bunch of different bottles of shampoos and conditioners and soaps. And he sits on the edge of the tub and he fills it with water and something that makes like bubbles, like some kind of bubble bath or soap. And she comes in and he asks if her hair is treated and she's like confused. And he picks up a bottle and he's like, do you need shampoo for chemically treated hair? And she's like, you want me to shampoo my hair? And then he offers to pay extra if that's something out of the ordinary. And she's like, no one's ever asked me to do that before. She's like, okay, whatever. This guy's kind of weird, but I'm here. So she bends down and she puts down her purse and she starts like untie her shoes. And we see him like staring awkwardly at her fingernails. And then his phone rings. So he excuses himself. Yep. And the minute he said the bath thing, I was like, oh, I remember this episode. Like not a whole, like I didn't remember everything about it, but I was like, Oh, yes, I remember this, and I'll suit you. Yeah, I mean, cleanliness is next to godliness, and he's very religious, so, okay? Yeah. So, it's all good. Though, I mean, just the way the characterization of Faster in this, his method of speaking is just like, I'm sorry, you would know he was a freak just if you heard him talk. The forced air unit is broken. I'd like to run you a bath. I'm not creepy at all. Like, what? <laughs> like, who talks like that? I like, know. Uh, well, I mean, like I said, she immediately looks like she regrets her decision when he's talking. So clearly she's like... But mm. he talks that way to everybody. He takes a job just... interview like that. She's like, oh, yeah, hey, you like my lipstick. Wink, wink. Yeah. Oh, a good word in for you. That's what I mean. Like, <sighs> you know, she immediately got those bad vibes and was like, I should not be here. Yeah. So 
Faster has gone to apparently his bedroom where he has a phone. And it's Marilyn, the interviewer from Ficicello Frozen Foods. And she's sorry to call so late, but wants him to know that he got the job. And they want him to start right away. And then the sex worker comes in the room and she's like, wait, what's going on around here? The bathwater is like ice cold. And then she looks around and we see like there's sympathy bouquets and like standing flower arrangements, like, you know, like from a funeral, just covering his whole bedroom. They're like hanging on like the foot of the bed and like the head of the bed, the headboard. And they're just all around the walls and just in the room. Like it's covered in the, it looks like if his bed was a casket, you would think it was a funeral home basically. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what is going on in this place? And like, what kind of sick freak are you? And then, so he kind of like, quickly is like thank you i'll talk to you later and like he hangs up on the phone right because he's going and so like the woman's in a towel she's like got a blue towel wrapped around her so she's already like was about ready to get in the bath and she's like whoa this water's super cold and then she's like he starts to come towards her and so she starts backing up and is like don't come near me don't come near me and then she just keeps like and then he bears down on her and she screams and yeah 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 not to victim blame but if you hadn't just kept backing up saying, stay away from me and actually turned around and ran, you might have gotten away. So just saying. Maybe. I don't know. I'm sure she was completely freaked out. I mean, I'd be freaked out, too. It's. I mean, and I realize it's television, but like if she dropped the towel and ran, I probably wouldn't have complained about that either. But that's me. <laughs> I mean, it so. wouldn't have gotten past Fox Sensor. So, yeah, I know. But... And you know how hard it was for them to film the naked lady in Jersey Devil. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I saw a gift yeah. set from that the other day on Tumblr and I was laughing so hard because it's just the guy giving Mulder the picture and then Mulder showing the picture to the other cop going, I've seen this. And I'm just mm-hmm. so funny. It's so bad. You, did, you do get some good butt shots in the Jersey Devil though. You do. You get some good butt yeah. shots. Yeah. Anyway. So several police cars and an ambulance are parked at a crime scene and Box leads Mulder and Scully to a body, which he says was probably that of he calls her a working girl. Mm-hmm. And an officer leads another sex worker over to kind of ID the body. And she, you know, was like, oh, it's my friend. And like they take takes her away. Yeah. And we'd seen her earlier when but she was Faster the one who was, was standing up. on the corner. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Mulder asks if it's their guy and Box tells them that it looks like it. There are knife wounds in her legs and torso and the killer cut off all her hair and fingernails. And this time he took some fingers, too. Ooh. Yeah. And he asks if they want to see the body and Mulder and Box walk closer. But like Scully hangs back. She clearly does not want a closer look at this body. And Mulder kind of gives her a worried look. And she says she needs a minute and turns away. Yep. And then we go to commercial because someone died. Oh, my God. This scene is my favorite scene. <laughs> oh, the one coming up after the commercial? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I so know. Good. No, I'll let you. I'll let you take it because I think you'll give it that. Mwah, so. so the next day. The Ficicello Foods van pulls up to the driveway of a home and Faster carries a delivery to the front door and he knocks and a woman answers and he says, I'm your new delivery man. And she's like, oh, hi, come in. And in the kitchen, she's making cookies and Faster's like putting the groceries away in the fridge. And she asks him if they gave him skip sold root. And he's like, yes, I think so. I just started with the company. And she says Skip was their delivery guy since before her kids were born. And then her teenage daughter, Lisa, comes in the kitchen and she like introduces her daughter to the delivery guy. She's like, this is Donnie. He's taking over Skip's route. And 
Faster's like way too interested in Lisa and kind of like his eyes follow her when she leaves the room. And Donnie asks if he can use the washroom to wash his hands. And the woman's like, sure, please just make yourself at home, strange delivery person. This isn't weird at all. And Not a bath- direct quote. No, but- not a direct quote. But uh, in the bathroom, he washes his hands. And then he like digs through the wastebasket. And he pulls out this wad of black hair that was probably from a brush or something. And he puts it in his pocket. And <laughs> the woman knocks on the door and like, opens the door and she's like hey i just want to tell you if we're ever not home we always leave our back door unlocked so you can just come on in okay thanks i'll remember that and i'm just like i mean this woman is trying to get herself and her family serial murdered like that's that's what she's doing this is (laughs) unbelievable and look like i know this is a thing and i know this used to be more common and like i've had friends when i was a kid they were subscribed to like the swanson frozen fruits and they would bring them the box but i mean i know in smaller towns and stuff that might be more of a thing it just boggles my mind like if i get uber eats or something i don't even want to talk to the delivery like i don't want them i just want to grab my food and go i'm like thanks i've tipped you i'm I'm out like i don't want you in my house putting away my stuff that freaks me out yeah and you might not put it where i want you to put it too right so it's weird having someone else in your house and i mean especially if you're me but like i just i'm that stuff would freak me out but then also you're not going to put it where it goes (laughs) why are you I mean, if it's heavy, sure, carry it into the kitchen, but you don't need to like unload it all. Anyway, it was just super weird to me. And I was like, oh my God, this woman is trying. Be sure to to tell the guy that you just met that you have all daughters and that you leave your house unlocked at all times. Yeah, no, it's definitely a safe, safe way to live your life. And I realize this is not, it is the 90s. I feel like by then you should know. We locked our doors in the 90s. I don't know. And I live yeah, in a I small town. Like I said, I don't know what podunk town Minneapolis is supposed to be in this episode where everyone is like, hi, neighbor. I don't lock my door. <laughs> Yet still has like a red light district and like multiple cemeteries. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <sighs> and also that was a huge wad of hair. Like someone needs to go see like whatever doctor it is that when your hair is falling out because, oh like, no i shed hair, like that i have thick really? hair yeah that oh, just mine, seems like a lot mine's way more and I, I lose hair and my hair is so thick but i'm italian oh and gosh. so we just it's no i shed like a dog and i might there's always like cat. a wad of hair in my brush like it's i just have really i think if you have thick hair that's just that happens so it's not oh, okay not weird to me at all because you could find a bigger one like, in my man, trash get can a, get a different brush or something holy no nope. <laughs> you got man, thick enough hair that's just the how tangles. it goes <laughs> tangle shampoo faster probably has some he can let you borrow so <laughs> probably got it in his truck he probably drives around maybe, with it because he's a knows. weirdo maybe he gets it from uh maybe uh Ficicelli foods also sell shampoo who knows i know So we're at the county morgue in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and an officer unzips a body bag containing the dead sex worker from earlier. And Scully walks in and she's wearing scrubs and she's got her hair net and her goggles on and in voiceover. Well, in sort of voice, it starts as her talking, but it turns into voiceover because she flips on the little recorder for the autopsy thing and starts recording the autopsy. And She's like, when a body ceases to function, the body has a story to tell. And she tells the recorder that it's 11.15 a.m. on Monday, November 14th. And the deceased is a female in her 20s. And then we get 
continuing voiceover and she's actually she actually at one point transitions from like autopsy to typing and that'll be the next scene mostly but she tells us that if someone is strangled their eyes and their throat will reveal that and if they're shot gunpowder residue and bullet wounds can be used to reconstruct the events leading up to the death broken glass and bruises and insect casings all matter and all kinds of other stuff can help us explain how the death occurred and then she studies the corpse's bruises and like vacuums some debris from the body. Right. So. And just date check. We already knew this, but they did not quarantine for 30 days after Firewalker because if it's November 14th, then it has been less than. And like you say, there's actually some time wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff going on because like they've done like three cases in like the space of like a week. Yeah, because Firewalker at the end, Mulder's voiceover tells us that that was the events of November 11th through 13th. Right. And that they were in day three of quarantine, which would mean it would be November 16th. Right. Which means that Red Museum, Excelsis Day, and Aubrey, all of which were multi-day episodes, must exist as like some M.C. Escher like time loop kind of thing. Because yeah. like it's like the Christmas Carol, like hardcore like yeah everything exists in this little pocket of time so kind of strange although november 14th was a monday in 1984 so they did get that part right yeah i think they just aren't paying attention to previous episode dates like when they should have occurred they just aren't keeping track in any way (laughs) because they'll remember the name of dead characters and make sure to put their gravestones in a scene in a completely different state but they can't remember what day it is so yes yeah yeah. So as I said, later, she's at her computer and she's writing her autopsy report and she writes that her opinion, this woman was killed for the sole purpose of extracting her fingernails and cutting her hair. But due to the body's immersion in cold, most likely cold water, the time of death cannot be accurately determined. Right. And then she also notes in her opinion that this is one of the most angry and dehumanizing murders imaginable. And I'm like, Scully, you need to get out and see more murders because I'm pretty sure you guys actually dealt with ones that are actually more dehumanizing and possibly angry but well, i don't know being killed for your hair and fingernails is pretty dehumanizing yeah i do have to wonder though what kind of reports is she writing because she's literally typing the whole like if the victim was strangled if the victim was shot if the body was moved if the temperature tells us this the debris tells us this it's like she's writing some crime fiction and then she includes like it may be understood only by those of us who conduct these experiments that death like life itself is a drama with a beginning, middle, and end. It's like, what are you? What are you doing? And also, who spells out eleven fourteen a.m. in a report? She actually spells it out. You can see it on the computer screen. But yeah, she doesn't include the year, but she spells out eleven fourteen a.m. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're supposed to really look at the screen. <laughs> Maybe she's writing a book. Maybe she's writing a book on like I autopsies guess, and the nature of death. Like, she's yeah, she's doing something because she's basically explaining how autopsies work in her report. Like, I think they don't care. They want to know, like, how did this person die? But anyway. So Mulder and Box are with the sex worker who was with the decedent when she was picked up by the person they believe was her killer. And so they have her looking at a lineup and she's like not able to pick anybody out. And Box is like, well, look more carefully. And she's like, it's none of those guys. And she's not wrong. Yes, sir. If she remembers what kind of car he was driving and she thinks it was white. And then Box tells her that she can go, just make sure to leave a name and address where she can be reached in case they have more questions. And she's like, are you going to catch this guy? And Box assures her that they will. And Mulder's like, you know, it'd be a good week to take that paid vacation your boss has been offering. And she's like, ha, yeah, right. And like leaves. Yeah, not a good cop sex worker interaction going on here. Um, 
anyway. So they kind of talk about who the suspect could be. And Bach is like, well, if this guy looks normal and doesn't have a record, he's going to be impossible to find. And Mulder's like, well, at least until he kills again. And Box read Mulder's profile. And it sounds like this is a guy who can't get women, which is why he killed the sex worker. And Mulder's like, no, she was just convenient. This guy's after trophies. He wants the hair and he wants the fingernails. And he suspects there's probably a deep hatred of women fueling him. And he suggests they call nearby psychiatric facilities to see if there's anyone who fits his profile who might have been released recently. Yeah. So then we're at Los Cerritos Adult Education. And Faster is in class. And there's a professor giving a lecture about myths and how they tackle the unfathomable in a wrapping of fiction. And meanwhile, Faster kind of like starts to look at one of his classmates, a young woman with short hair. And he starts staring at her fingers as she scratches her neck. So after class, it's nighttime. So a woman is walking to her car and Faster's like, excuse me. And like, he's standing on the other side of her car and she's kind of like, mm. and he's like, I'm in your class. And she's like, uh-huh. And then he, <laughs> starts like, to walk I know. <laughs> he starts to walk around the car and she's kind of like, mm. and he's like, I was just wondering about the homework assignment. Did he say we should read chapters 10 and 11? Or eleven and twelve, and so she's kind of like, oh, oh, okay. Well, let me let me check. She was like, oh, he's actually just asking a question. He's not a creepoid. Okay, cool. So she gets her stuff out, and she's like, oh, it was ten and eleven. He's like, oh, okay, thank you. And then he had put his arm on her open door, like to keep her door from closing during this. And she's like, I have to go. And he's like, don't go. And so she's like. Boom. I'm pretty sure she nails him in the, you knows, and then punches him as well. And he goes flying to the ground and then she runs off screaming. So, yeah. And I'm just like Lucille Bluth, just like good for her. Like I even put yep. good for her dot gif in the notes and Nick put like a question mark. So I found the gif and I put it in our notes. It's Lucille yep. Bluth going good for her yeah. because yeah, and, good for her. Fight back. Darn it. Yeah. And also see running works. Not that people who don't fight back deserve what they get. I'm just saying, like, no, no, if you no. can fight back, obviously that's the best course of action. But I understand, like, if you're in a situation like that, you may not react rationally because you are freaked out. And I don't even know how I would react. Probably not well, to be honest. So, yeah. but good for her. Yay. Yeah. He wasn't lying about going back to school. No, I mean, I don't think he's lying about a lot of things. I just yeah. think he's gross. I do think they forgot they were in Minneapolis, though, with the little small hills continuing education. I'm not sure how many things are named Los Cerritos in Minneapolis, but they're actually uh, Los Cerritos in Long Beach. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot of them, but they're all like in the Southwest because it's Spanish, right? right? Not a lot of, I mean, that's not necessarily so much true now, but, and even back then, but like, you know. So Scully is back at the lab and she lifts the sheet for autopsy. And the face on the slab is hers. And then the eyes pop open. Boom. And then she sees this like demonic being above her. Looks a lot like the demonic being that two saw in the mortuary. Anyway, and then she jolts awake. It was a dream. Her phone is ringing, which is why she jolted awake. And it's Mulder. And he's letting her know that they've arrested someone they think might be their guy. And so she says she'll get dressed. And we see that it's 1121 p.m. Right. Which is the same time that Mulder called and woke her up in pilot. So that's another callback. Mm -hmm. yep. 
And then Box leads Mulder and Scully into the jail, and he's telling them that the suspect has a history of assault. So we're like, okay, good. They've got faster. And a security guard saw the attack happen and is like, she got him pretty bad. And then we mm-hmm. see the man in the cell is not faster. What? He's, an- he's another man with cuts on his face. And Mulder asks who cut him, and Box says it was a sex worker. And he's like, they're all carrying knives since what happened, which good for them. And Mulder goes in to talk to the man and Scully hangs back and over her shoulder behind her, we see Faster is in another cell and he's looking lasciviously at Scully's hair. Oh, so they got him, but they don't know that they got him. Right, because they, they got him because his classmate kneed him in the groin and said he tried to grab her and it's a different kind of assault. Whereas this guy was with the sex worker, so they're assuming that's more related, which is a shame. So let's be super myopic and only go after, you know... Yeah. Like just an assault on a young woman, which meets the profile, doesn't count. It has to be an assault on a sex worker because that's what he did last time. Right. So, exactly. Fighting the last battle. Good job, guys. So a guard lets Mulder and Box out of the cell, and Mulder says it's not their guy, and they're back to square one. So Scully looks over her shoulder as they're walking away because Scully was actually in the cell too, but she was kind of like standing back, and Mulder and Box were kind of handling all the questioning. And as they're walking away, Scully looks back over her shoulder and she sees Faster staring at her. And then he pretends not to be staring at her. And then she kind of like has like a look like, oh, kind of like creepy thing. And then she goes over to Mulder and she asks if she can speak with him for a second. So she's going to tell her that this creepy guy was in a cell and we need to find out maybe like what he's in there for because she's getting a really bad feeling. But that's not what happens, actually. Nope. She suggests that she could be more help to this case if she just took the body back to D.C. Because then she could run it through the fingerprint scanner, et cetera, et cetera. And Mulder is like, if you're having trouble with this case, that's totally fine. Just, like, let me know. Like, it's, it's all right. And she's like, no, no, everything's fine. He's like, look, I understand. I've seen, like, 20-year veterans, like, suddenly lose it on cases like this. It's okay. And she's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But getting a print would be very helpful. And he's like, are you, are you sure? She's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I can handle it. So, yeah. Yeah. Because like a podunk town like Minneapolis won't have like a fingerprint scanner or like facilities to do fingerprinting because Hicks, right? So got to take it to D.C. Yeah, I think it's like supposed to be an advanced like FBI scanner or something. I don't know. I don't know. I have a theory. We'll talk about it later. What's going on. So. It's probably just a theory. It's probably not really true, but it, but it would work, and it actually would it act, it would fit what's going on with Scully, and would be a it would be a, actually a better reason of why she is doing this, in my opinion. So, and it's not one that you're going to hate either. It's actually a good one. So there. Yeah. So as they all leave, Faster whispers to the cell across the room where the other guy was sitting with the cuts on his face, and he asks him what his name is, and the guy's like, "Are you talking to me?" And so then he asks, "Is like, yeah, were the people interviewing you FBI agents?" And he's like, yeah, they were. It's like, they think I'm some kind of freak who is digging up corpses. And he's like, like I'm so in so much trouble. Like, my life isn't going great. And now I've got this on my head. Like, I don't know what's going on. And Faster's like, do you know their names? And the guy's like, what? Is the names of the FBI agents. And he's like, I don't remember the man's name, but the woman was Scully because it's like the baseball announcer. So sports, right? Sports will be the downfall of civilization, in my opinion. Anyway, so... The officer comes to Faster and says that the charges have been dropped against him. The woman dropped the charges. And so he's free to go. He just needs to go talk to a social worker and then he can leave. So, yeah. And of course, the other guy remembers Scully's name because Scully can't catch a break with the creepos. Like, she just can't win. 
Yeah. Apparently, the sports announcer is actually one of the reasons why Chris Carter named her Scully as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that's true. another little if that's another little in joke in this episode or not. But yeah, well, I don't think a lot of them are jokes. I think they're just callbacks and references. Oh, okay. I don't think they're supposed to be funny. You're not like, haha, it's eleven twenty one. But yeah, it's not. I don't think it's meant to be. <laughs> um, and the other suspect is Dwight McPhee, who has been in Shapes. He played David Gates, who I couldn't remember who David Gates was. I meant to look yeah, it no up, idea. but I forget. And he was also in Little Green Men as a commander. And he'll also appear a fourth time in the X Files. He does have a role in Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, so we will see him again. Which I think is episode. four four of season three i believe that sounds right yeah 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 i do why did she drop the charges like she did so good like getting the dude and then she just drops the charges i know well you know women are so it's a, it's a thing like especially in the 90s but like you get pressure to drop the charges because like well he didn't really do anything he just stood by your car and wouldn't let you leave yeah. like he didn't touch you so why should you tie yourself up in court and deal with all this stuff? And they tell you how hard it's going to be and how expensive and blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not expensive necessarily if you're the one bringing charges, but like how much effort and time you're going to have to spend going to court and testifying. And they make it sound so hard that you do drop the charges and you don't want to ruin this guy's life. All he did was hold your car door. I mean, it's it's absolute bullshit, but I totally believe that this one would drop the charges because I believe. I mean, it's kind of the same. Like, why didn't the funeral guy do it? something, right? Same, right. Almost the same, like, because, oh, because we don't want you know in that case it's probably more of like we don't want to like you know jeopardize the business kind of right because people will find out about what happened but yeah definitely i mean like it's you know i mean the bigger i think most people are probably more aware of the whole like like when you're dealing with like rape charges right of how like the victim is basically re-victimized repeatedly throughout the process of trying to file charges and during court cases so often it's easier just to not do anything yeah it's it sucks but i totally it makes sense that she would though yeah and still like no one like dude he was trying to assault a young woman like that you got like oh my god like why would you not be oh yeah hey look at this guy too but i know but i guess because like he didn't really do anything you know i mean i'm not saying he didn't do anything but like he didn't touch her he didn't physically attack there was nothing to connect him to the hair and fingernail thing so i can and they, they haven't, you know, looked into him for that. So they don't know that he worked to it for a funeral home. So I guess that's why. It's it's not good. I'm just saying it makes sense that they wouldn't yeah. bother. I wonder if they ran his stuff. They must have. But they don't have fingerprints from this killer yet. So it wouldn't help. No. Well, I'm just wondering because we were thinking that maybe the, like I I was gone for a while was because he had a, he was in jail. So maybe yeah. he wasn't. Maybe he was just gone for a while. Maybe he just yeah. left to do something. Because if they ran, it would have, whatever he was in jail for, would have come up. And so that might have maybe made things a little, they probably will still let him go. But yeah. Anyway. So then we're at the FBI headquarters at the Layton Fingerprint Analysis Lab. And a scientist in a lab coat is looking at some fabric. And he tells Scully that satin doesn't really hold prints very well. And he suspects the killer might have worn gloves. And she lets him know that the body is arriving later today. So then they can actually like look at the body instead of just the evidence. And she mentions that she does have a flight back to Minneapolis tonight, but she might cancel. Which means she flew back to tell him that the body was coming, but then is planning to fly back right after it arrives. So like, thanks for wasting taxpayer dollars, Scully. What is going on? I mean, she's suffering from PTSD. And Remember back in Pilot when Scully was so terrified of flying and now she just flies everywhere. Fly, fly, fly. Well, I mean, it's so, part of the job. She kind of has yeah. to. 
<laughs> I don't think she has a choice or there wouldn't be much of a show. Or there'd be a lot of episodes where Scully's in a car for any hours. Or she could just do a lot of the stuff she does via phone, which is something well, that she probably could do. Yeah. And you, I know that you agree with it in this case. So, Well, I agree she shouldn't go back to Minneapolis, but we're not there yet. <laughs> I think she should have left. I think she's good. She followed her instincts. She's having trouble. She went back to D.C. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm going to let you take the next scene because I don't like this next scene. So. Oh, I like it. Okay, well, it's good. <laughs> you will give it you will give it the proper but i like i like that i like karen kosev too so so scully's walking through the hall and she stops at the office for employee assistance and she, we see her like talking to agent karen kosev and i guess she's kind of like a she's an agent but she's like a counselor i guess for the agents yeah she is a licensed certified social worker lcsw okay. and she tells her that in medical school you learn detachment from death and in the field, you're confronted with all these violent, horrible cases. And you think you can look into the face of pure evil, but then you find yourself paralyzed by it. And Kosef asked if Scully's aware that she's been talking about herself in the second person. And Scully's like, oh, yeah, I'm probably trying to detach myself from that, too. And so Kosef notes that Scully is a strong person who probably thinks she can handle any problem by herself, but that now she feels vulnerable. And Kosef asks why. And Scully's like, well, I trust my partner with my life, but I can't really talk to him about how I feel because she doesn't want him to feel like he has to protect her and like she's not capable of like doing what she needs to do. And Kosef mentions that she knows Scully lost her father last year and she mentions that she was ill recently, which is kind of weird because she was in the hospital, but she was also kidnapped and missing for several months, which doesn't get mentioned, which I thought was weird. And I'm guessing that's one of those writing things where they're trying to boil it down because they don't have time to explain all that. No, I don't think they forgot. I think they just don't have time to explain it. So like they figure either you've seen it and you know what happened or they just don't have time to get into it. But it was just kind of weird. They're just (laughs) they boil it down to you were ill recently. But she does say that those things can leave you feeling vulnerable and kind of out of sorts. And Scully admits she has lost some faith in her ability to protect people from the horrors of the world. And she wants that faith back. So Karen Kosef is played by Christine Wiles or Willis. I'm not sure exactly how you say it. She has been in lots of stuff. I actually turned on a random episode of Psych last night and it was the second episode with the spelling bee. And she was like one of the people running the spelling bee. So I was like, oh, cool. But she's most known to me as Dolores Herbig, as in her big brown eyes from Dead Like Me, where she was a recurring role on that show. And apparently Kosef will be a recurring character. Okay, this goal is going to continue. We yeah. Go through her. Okay. Cool. Probably need some help getting through her PTSD here. Yeah. I, as I said, I did not like the scene. I'm pretty sure I would need to check the dates because it does change from year to year. I mean, it's within a certain time. This might be the first episode of Sweeps Week. Okay. And this scene was very like, let's have an Emmy for Jillian Anderson. It was just like, we spend so much time just like hard focused on her face and she's all teary looking and just like, it was just, uh, I get it, but whatever. I don't know. I like the scene, but I could relate to it. Like I'm, I relate to Scully a lot in this episode. I don't need like, to see, I'm not, I'm not here for emotional drama. I'm here for freaking UFOs and monsters. Oh, so the, sorry. folks. Yeah. It's going to happen. So <laughs> 
buckle in. But all of it, like this, it's just, it's just, it was just so overwrought and just like, and not specifically because of this scene, but after this scene, I seriously just wanted to stop watching this episode because it's just so I like I don't see anything that can happen coming up that's gonna make me feel like this was a good episode. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do relate to Scully. I don't think, but that's... I stuck through it. So yeah, yeah. So we're back in the fingerprint lab, and the agent slash scientist from earlier says that he's been looking for Scully, and he has good news. And she's like, oh, "I had a meeting." And so the killer left a thumbprint on the body. So we find out that he actually cut off all her fingers except for one thumb. And apparently before he put on gloves at some point when they were struggling, he must have grabbed her thumb because they found a print on her fingernail on the nail polish. So Scully says she's going to call Mulder. And the agent tells her that actually someone called for you earlier. It was an agent who said he was working out of Minneapolis and was wanting to know when you were going to be back. And so he told her, like, you have book, a flight book back for tonight. And she asked, was it was it Mulder? And she's like, no, it was. I, but I didn't recognize the name. And he didn't tell the agent about the print because they hadn't found the print at the time. So she calls Mulder and tells him that they got a print. And then Mulder relays that information to Box. And then he asks if she's staying in D.C. And she says, no, I'm coming back tonight. And he tells her, like, hey, I, again, he's like, this is a pretty, you know, I understand. Like, if you want to stay there, it's totally fine. And she's like, no, I'm fine. And you could use my help. And he's like, always. And then he hangs up. And then he asks Box if she called her. And he was like, no, it wasn't me. So. And then in a scene that did scare the crap out of me, we cut to this is like, boom. And the door is burst open. And it turns out that it is Faster's apartment. The police just like used the battery and ran. Boom, blew the door off the hinges. And they're there to find Faster, probably because of the fingerprint. And Faster's not there. But one of the officers does find a pillow. And there's like blonde hair sticking at him. It's like, I think this is human hair. And so Box radios an APB out on Faster. And then Mulder calls him. And they go into the kitchen. And Mulder has found a finger in a box of frozen peas. Yeah. Cool. But that scared the crap out of me. Oh, my God. It was just like low key, like, okay, I'll see you later. Hey, did you call Scully? No. All right. I'll talk to you. Bye. And then boom. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, oh. Anyway. Yeah. So this time I definitely think Scully should have stayed in D.C. I mean, I get why she didn't, because she's trying to push through her uneasiness and prove to herself that she's fine. But I just I don't like the idea that she's going to be like attacked. So that's not. I actually don't know why she's anywhere in this episode because she doesn't want to be she doesn't want to be in minneapolis but like you said she's trying to she's trying to prove to herself that she can do this and trying to push through it which is i mean that's what people do like you know you you what i would do i'm stubborn you want to think you're stronger than maybe you are and that's just how we work sometimes but like in minneapolis she hasn't really been much help she's been like useless at best because she's standing around being all uncomfortable and at worst as we're going to find out she's actually going to be a liability there She's not really doing anything in D.C. either, except going to therapy, which is a good thing. She needs to do that, but she's not doing any actual work. Like the guy's trying to find her and like tell her what's going on. So it's not like she was doing the stuff. So so here's my theory of why she actually went to D.C. 
because we do hear in the opening that she's like, I thought we were just staying for like a day, right? Mm -hmm. And then you found out this isn't UFO, so why are we here anyway? So I think she had an appointment already and she used the FBI lab thing as an excuse to go back to DC for her appointment, but she didn't want to tell Mulder that she had an appointment. Yeah, I can see that. And so she used that, which would, I think would make more sense for the character than to do this. Like, cause especially like, I think I should go back to DC and do this when she's not doing it. So I think that makes more sense. Like she had scheduled this appointment. Right. Didn't think they were going to be in Minneapolis as long as they are and needs to get to the appointment because she realizes whether she wants to admit it to herself or not, because she's still trying to push through her work, she realizes she does need to speak with someone. No, I think that makes sense. And especially because Mulder is, he's been kind of touchy about her being back to work, like, you know, right away, because it was really soon after she got out of the hospital. And I'm sure she doesn't want him to think that she's having issues or, you know, she doesn't want to feel like he's going to I mean, he hasn't mentioned it since Firewalker, but. He hasn't, but we can assume they've had conversations we haven't seen. And I can definitely see him being like, and because it does get mentioned, I don't know, I see that. I see that she might feel pressured to prove that she's fine and not, and you know, just not because Mulder's doing anything to make her feel that way, just because she doesn't want to be in a position where, you know, Mulder maybe feels like he needs to be watching her every second or she's not capable of doing her job or anything like that. And she doesn't want to feel like that either for her own sake, which is totally understandable. Yeah. But, you know, obviously she's been through some very traumatic stuff in a very short amount of time. Of course, she's having problems processing things. And like probably shouldn't have been allowed. I mean, literally probably shouldn't have been allowed to go back to work until so quickly, she was yeah. given some time. Because, oh yeah. Like, I mean, think about like with what's his face, you know, in a uh, La- in Lazarus, Right. It's like you have Willis. to recover like he had a little to, bit. He had to get re he had to get re like certified for all this kind of stuff. And he was just like gone for like a day. Right. And she was, was gone for months and yeah. we don't even know what happened to her. So Yeah. It's funny because when she saw that image of herself on the table and then she saw the figure above her, at first I thought it was supposed to be an alien, and then you kind of see the ears and it is kind of demonic. Yeah. But you know, I mean, whatever was going on in her brain, she's clearly not over what happened, no matter how much she remembers or doesn't remember. Which if we're taking all this stuff literally, like is she having like some kind of like precognition? Uh I don't yeah, I don't think I think she's just having stress dreams, but that's just okay. my personal Well, but I mean, <laughs> but she sees what has been seen and is going to be seen. Yeah, I'm. So. I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't like that. I'm gonna. Nope. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Think just because I'm already sense. in a bad mood, I really took umbrage with the we got a print because like she didn't do shit. She's she on was, a team. That's how it works. We got a print. She showed up, said there's a body arriving, and then yeah. went and did what she should have been doing, you know, speaking with someone, and then came back and was like, we got a print. And then Mulder's like, Scully got a print. I was like, Scully didn't do shit, really? Um, the body would have got there without Scully, and they would have done this test, and they would have gotten yeah. the print, and they would have called and told you there was a print, and Scully could have not been involved at all. So, anyway, just being fair. So, Scully arrives fair. in Minneapolis, <laughs> and no, I think I am being fair. I think I'm being fair. Or at least I'm being accurate, if not fair. Sometimes accurate is not fair. Life is not fair. So. Very true. Yes. So Scully arrives in Minneapolis and then she goes to the rental car place and she picks up her car. And as she drives away, we see that Faster is parked in the lot and he follows her out. 
And then for some reason, they're driving down some like abandoned, super dark country road going from the airport to the city. And he rams her. Boom, boom. And then the last time she like turns around and looks directly at the car as he rams her instead of like accelerating. But anyway, and then commercial. Right. Because maybe she died. Yeah, I don't hope not. That would be sad. Because commercial, not always, but like I've said many, many times on many, many episodes, when someone dies, it's a good time for a commercial. Right. So. So Mulder's at the FBI satellite office and he's saying like Scully should have been here by now. And Box is like checking on the computer and he says, yeah, her flight landed three hours ago. And then someone comes in to tell them that they found Agent Scully's rental car. So Mulder and Box arrive at the scene and Scully's rental car is in a ditch and the back is dented and the airbag's gone off. But obviously she's not there. And Mulder's like, yeah, her car was obviously forced off the road. And there's like white paint on the bumper. So he knows that the car that forced her off the road was white. Mm-hmm. I also want to give credit when they drive up to the scene. This is a little thing, but sometimes the little things are what they mess up. They're approaching from the opposite direction of the direction that her car was going, which would have been accurate, right? Because they're coming from the city and she was going to the city. So right, good job. So we are in an empty home. that has a for sale sign out front and inside we see that the furniture is all covered in plastic and it's like super dark inside and faster is running a bath cleanliness is next to godliness and he's apparently either brought his collection of shampoos and soaps or he has a collection there already because like they're just everywhere there's like lined up with a lot of corks and bottles too so he's, buying, he's apparently buying like the super fancy like you know artisan bath soaps anyway so then he opens a closet and scully is in the closet tied up and pretty badly beat up bound and gagged and when he opens the door, she sees him as this demonic thing. And then it is him. So yeah. And then it switches back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not impressed. Anyway, we'll get into it. <laughs> I'm just annoyed by the demonic stuff. You're annoyed by Scully. I'm annoyed by this. I think this is really stupid. Well, the way they do the demonic stuff does kind of annoy me. But yeah, we'll get, we'll get to it at this, the end. We'll get into this at the end, but I do think it irritating could have been something. Yeah. So I just think they handled it or they a lot of things badly. Didn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. So Mulder and Box are not coming up with any leads. And so there were no witnesses, and the car could be one of thousands in the area so Mulder says they need to start at the beginning and get inside this guy's head and box suggests that he would go anywhere but his mother's based on Mulder's profile and then Mulder asks if they happen to know where faster's mother lives and then we see faster open the closet again where scully's being held because i guess the bath is ready mm-hmm. and we cut back and box is like faster's mother actually lived in boca raton florida and she died a year ago and Mulder asked if she had a car. And it turns out she did. She owned a late model white sedan. <gasps> and so they're like, well, we should check to see if she had a house in Minneapolis in case Florida was her winter house. Mm-hmm. So we're back to the closet and Faster has like a serrated kitchen knife. And he sets the knife down and he's like checking out. Basically, he's checking out Scully's nails. And she's like, ah, 
get the hell away from me, you know, through her gag. She can't really talk. She's gagged up. And then he, like, takes the knife and he cuts at one of the ties around her ankles. And then while he's doing that, she sees him shift into several different people. Like a bald dude and then, like, a regular dude, like a crew cut. And then, like, this hairy bearded dude. And then finally, like, that demonic creature that we've been seeing. And then he shifts back to faster. Mm -hmm. And he touches her hair and tells her not to be afraid. So I am wondering because the last person we see before we get the the true form demon look is very kind of like Charles Manson-y, you know? And so I'm wondering if what we're supposed to be getting out of this is that these are supposed to represent like other serial killers? Is that what we're supposed to be getting from this? Like it's it's unnecessary and ridiculous. The whole yeah, part. I have no but, idea. And honestly, none of them looked familiar enough for me to be like, oh, that's whatever. Or maybe that's, that's supposed to be, to be someone. I mean, because yeah. like the other one is old and just automatically because it's got like the long, scraggly black hair and a beard, right? right? So it's like, yeah. oh, Charles Manson or Jesus, if you believe your Bible stories, whatever. But I was like, okay, is that what they're doing? Like, because like you could kind of see like they were all kind of rough looking. Like the bald dude with like the goatee. I think he had a goatee. And then we see like some dude with kind of like like kind of like a pretty decently sized brow ridge and like a crew cut hair kind of thing. And so they all seemed kind of like brutish, perhaps, I guess you could say. But I just wasn't sure if that's what we were supposed to be getting from this. Because this is the first time we've had this happen. Yeah. And then Faster takes her to the bathroom and he asks her if her hair is normal or dry because gross. And she backs up and then she hits him and she knocks him into the tub and she runs Mm -hmm. and she reaches the door, but it's locked. And so he like calls after her and taunts her that there's no way out. And he goes up to a dresser or like some kind of thing that has a drawer and he pulls out a gun and he's like, there's nowhere to hide because he's a dick. And he likes calling her girly girl, doesn't he? Something like that. Yeah. And then. You know, Scully's gone. She's not at the front door anymore. But then, like, we hear something and, like, he heads upstairs and we hear a door close and he opens the room and no one's in the room. And then he opens the closet and Scully sprays him in the face with this can of cleaner and runs, which is good for her. Great move. Yeah, like scrubbing bubbles or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he chases and he grabs her and they fall down the stairs and she gets the gun. And again, he like appears as this demonic thing and he knocks the gun out of her hand. Yeah. I don't know why the person downstairs didn't try and help Scully. Yeah, you should explain because like I didn't even see this the first time. <laughs> yeah. So in so in the scene when they're rolling down the stairs at the very end, when they reach the bottom, apparently one of the crew members was like, whoa, don't hit the camera. And we see like this hand shoot out into the frame and then tuck back in as they like land on the ground it's kind of funny it's even funnier because the way the scene is cut that's the last thing we see before we see the gun like tumble to the floor and so it kind of actually looks like the person like threw the gun on the floor because the way their hand like shoots out and then comes back in it's like they're chucking a gun and then we see the gun land on the floor it's kind of funny so i don't know why they didn't catch that they've got to look at dailies maybe even just like cut the scene right before that yeah the problem it's only like a split second i mean it's 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 kind like it's kind of easy to miss if you're not really if you're like if you're into the scene i could see where maybe you wouldn't see it but it's also like pretty obvious once you realize it's there you can't like not see it once you know it's there right so and again we've got like the superhuman killer eyeballs where like he got sprayed in the face with like this freaking cleaner and then he just kind of like "Mm," wipes it away and then like jumps at her 
he does have it on his face when he jumps at her, but then later he's going to have a totally clean face. But then again, like when she knocked him into the bathtub, his hair and his clothes got all wet, but then magically they're dry by the time he gets the gun. But then later his hair is wet again when he opens the closet, but his clothes are dry. So little continuity issues there too. Yeah. So, but right when the demon boom, knocks the gun out of her hand and she's like, oh shit, Mulder and the FBI burst in. Boom! Guns, guns, guns. Get down, get down. And we cut and we see that he's like straddling Scully and then he like, you know, rolls off and like crouches on the floor. They grab Scully and like she just wants her hands uncut and, you know, Mulder's like, get a paramedic, get a paramedic. And, you know, they're arresting faster and she's like, how did you find me? And he's like, this is Faster's mother's house. Like she willed it to his sister's and so they tracked it down and then a patrolman saw the car out back and he has to ask if she's sure she doesn't want paramedics to take a look at her. She's been saying like the whole time, no, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. And we, and then he kind of like puts his hand under her chin and kind of pulls her face up to look at her because Jillian Anderson is much shorter than David Duchovny, but she's got a cut on her chin and her face is all kind of bruised up and she's like, her clothes are all dirty. So he must like drag her through the ground. It's like that too. And then she just starts crying and she hugs him and is crying against his chest. Yeah, so obviously all the pressure from everything just yep. comes out. So over a montage of photos of Faster as a child, Mulder tells us that the conquest of fear lies in its acceptance. That which scares us most is that which is familiar. Like a boy, the youngest child with four sisters, unremarkable in every way, and how he could grow up to be the devil in a button-down shirt. And then we see Faster behind bars, and Mulder continues telling us the horror of ordinary people doing monstrous things is as scary as any X-File, as is the realization that it could happen to you. Yeah. Which reminds me of the Grandpa Simpson, like, it will happen to you. It also kind of. reminds me a lot of, I think Chris Carter was re-watching The Night Stalker when he wrote this, because it sounds almost exactly how Carl Kolchek starts and ends his narration of the Night Stalker movie. Yeah, it does sound familiar. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. But then again, I'm a Kolchak fan. So, And if this is Mulder also writing a report, then this needs to stop. And I actually kind of now, not even thinking about whether this is Mulder doing a report or just this narration itself, like I actually take back what I said about Scully's voiceover in Red Museum, because at least that sounded like it could be a report. Instead of being like, let me write eloquently and have them narrate. Like, I hate it. Anyway, I also hate the scene of Faster looking through the bars at the end, moving his head around. Like, I don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Like, oh, I'm a scary serial killer. Let me move my head around in the bars. Especially because they couldn't even bother to shoot a proper version of it and just did it when he was in jail before. Because he's wearing the shirt that he was wearing when he was in the jail cell after attacking the student, not the shirt that he was wearing just recently. So it's actually okay. not even the right scene. But And then also, also, I know we're not supposed to do this, but that little kid they use in the photos is freaky looking. I'm sorry. He's freaky <laughs> looking. Yeah. Freaky. Little kid should not have lids that heavy and their ears should not go those directions. It's just freaky looking. So anyway, have to say that. Also, I didn't put this in my notes, but I was thinking about it. This is the second episode in a row where we've got a killer 
who is the only boy in a family of sisters. Because that yeah. was Copley's thing, too. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And while it doesn't necessarily bode well for it, um, this episode may be the origin of the idea for the series Millennium, which starts in 97, I believe, and then goes through 1999, has three seasons. Although, like most things, um, this is a story that was told after the fact in interviews by someone who tells stories for a living. So like Grain of Salt, it might be true or it might just be a good story for an interview. You know, you can decide what you think. So Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me because Chris Carter apparently really loves this episode, thinks it's one of their best. So I could see him wanting to base a whole series on it, if that's the case. Having not necessarily watched Millennium, but knowing the basic plot structure of Millennium and what it's about... I can kind of see it, but I also don't see where this relates to Millennium at all. Like, what, yeah, like what the seat. Maybe there's just some little tiny aspect that I could see going in there. And it's the part that you're not a big fan of. It's like the demon part, kind of. A little what? Bit, I think you okay, we'll from. get into that. But it's not that I yeah. mind the demon part. I mind how it's done in this episode. So, but I haven't seen Millennium and I don't know the plot. So I don't even know oh, what it's you about. You will. You will. <laughs> So it sounds like originally this episode was written um, and it had Faster as a necrophiliac and possibly a cannibal. It's kind of unclear because a lot of the sources say that he was originally conceived as someone who had a taste for dead flesh, which you could take several ways. And Carter does use the word necrophilia to describe his script, but then they make a lot of Dahmer references. And obviously Dahmer sexually assaulted and cannibalized his victim. So, I mean, it could have been both. Either way, standards and practices shot it down and was like, nope, we're not doing that. So it became the fetish for hair and nails of dead women. Yeah. And I guess originally it was titled Fascination. Yeah, which is actually a better title than Irresistible, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I don't sense. think Irresistible is a great I don't think Fascination is a great title either. I don't think either one. Well, because he's fascinated, right? I mean, I, I right. think like no, something like, it, a, but... like Obsession by Chris Carter. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, something like that would have yeah. been, you know. But I mean, and that may be why they didn't use fascination, maybe because like there's, you know, I mean, there's a song called fascination. I mean, there's also songs called irresistible. So, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, fascination fits better than irresistible. It's still not the best. But yeah. Yeah. So the whole here's my I'm going to go into this. I would argue this case is not an X-File. The demon thing is unnecessary. And also seems to be more an issue of perception which so there are stories from Dahmer's surviving victims and other people who interacted with him that he seemed to like shape shift and so that's where they got this idea of like him appearing differently but I think the demon appearance stuff is 100% unnecessary this is a case where Mulder and Scully show up because this guy thinks there's a UFO connection right that's why he calls Mulder Mm -hmm. it's not because of whatever's going on And they end up staying because Mulder obviously has experience with violent crimes and they can help. And that's fine. Not every case they work has to be an Mm X-File. But like the Donnie appears as a demon thing is totally superfluous. Like it does not add anything. They don't explore it in any way. We learn that Donnie Faster has a family. He has sisters. We know he was born human in some way, probably, unless Mama was hooking up with a demon, which maybe, but we get zero Maybe his mama's named Rosemary. We don't I mean, we get nothing. We don't see him doing any kind of demonic rituals. We don't see him lighting candles, saying anything. Like, there is nothing about this 
And to Mulder and Box and Scully, this is a normal killer. There's nothing. I mean, he's gross. Well, maybe not to Scully because she has seen the demon. Yeah. Has she, though? Or is it just because, like, she's having PTSD. Is she going to believe that? Or is she going to think she's just seeing things? Because they do establish that she is not the only person who's seen it. Right. But none of them talk to each other. So they don't. No, right. it's, there's no but it report. is the exact there's, same creature. But there's no record of that, right? Yeah. So to them, well, there he will is a be, normal person. And we'll get no. that later. Well, we're gonna. T- I'm gonna yeah. talk about but that. But all the things you've said, like I'm gonna say, like there will be reasons why, kind of thing. But like you are not wrong because it is all superfluous. I can't say that word. I know, it was all added on at the last minute. Yeah. Well, like, and the, we'll learn that. Yeah. But it's just it's so stupid and i hate it because it just create like so there's this idea and we starting to grapple with this more but like the way that we talk about serial killers like they're geniuses or they're monsters and othering them is really bad for society because one it creates this illusion that these people are like uncatchable gods and the police are just unable to keep up with these really smart guys when half Mm -hmm. the time like we talked about with Dahmer it's racism it's incompetence it's homophobia it's it's disregard of the lives of sex workers it's just people doing their job badly yeah and it's like I mean there was a serial killer I think in LA and because the victims were I believe homosexual men the police started labeling the cases NHI like no humans involved Mm -hmm. because the victims didn't even matter to them and so like that's it's this like illusion we have like Ted Bundy was not a genius. Ted Bundy was a manipulative asshole who knew that women are conditioned to be polite. And if you show up in a sling and ask them to help carry your groceries, a lot of women are going to help because that's how we're trained and socialized. It's not a genius move. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not super I mean, smart. Murders of marginalized people in general is an issue, but especially, well, maybe not especially, but like you hear a lot of, especially now, like retroactively, you do hear a lot of cases where, especially involving serial killers, where the killer was allowed to continue because the victims were usually actually gay men. There's big cases like that in Canada or or indigenous people, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So this is not the X-Files' fault, but this is just a trope that I hate anyway. And then they're like, the episode does nothing to address it. And so then this is where we're going to get into spoilers. So if you don't want to hear spoilers for season seven, Maybe skip ahead a little bit, but apparently in season seven, Faster does return, and the reason he appears to be a demon in this episode is because he's an actual demon. Thanks. I hate it. I hate it so much. And the reason I hate it is because I'm 100% sure, I guarantee you, the reason that happens is because they had people asking, why does this guy appear as a demon in this episode? It doesn't ever come up in the episode. It's never addressed. Which is something they added only because Chris Carter was like, oh, people are probably going to complain that there's no paranormal stuff in this episode. So let's put this in. Right. And then people were asking about why was he looking like a demon if it was never put in, you know, it didn't make any sense. So in season seven, when they're casting about for stuff to do, they're like, hey, we could explain why this guy looks like a demon for some reason. And I guess that's why. So anyway, I really <laughs> and I'm not looking forward to that episode. And you can't yeah, of all the deep cuts they could have pulled from X-Files episodes that they're going to pull this one is kind of like, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's kind of a shame. So anyway, I feel like. It would have worked better if they had at least give us an, given us a scene with him at like a candle altar or something to explain maybe he's drawing in demonic forces or in some way brought it in and they just don't. So it's just like this superfluous thing that's stupid, adds nothing to a terrible episode. 
yeah. Or not even like he has to be like, like he doesn't have to be doing like some sort of ritual, right? Because like no. if he is an actual demon, he's probably not doing rituals because if you're a demon, you don't need to do the rituals to conjure yourself. You just are. But right? then how is he a um, demon? Well, what I'm saying though is that maybe like show him why he's collecting the stuff. Like we never actually see him interacting with his trophies. True. Like he's got hair in a pillow and that's the closest we get. He's got hair in a pillow and a finger in a box of peas. Like, okay, why? Um, again, that's a throwback probably to the Dahmer stuff, right? Of it's, you know, there's body parts in the freezer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do think they could have handled it. I think there was a way to have had that in this episode and not had it be trash. But it's not. And it would it would be more I don't know what, but yeah. I mean, it's not the only thing that's not great about this episode. No, it's not. I mean, I don't I don't like it. I don't like the whole serial killer fawning over women and fondling their hair. And I mean, I don't every case doesn't need to be an x-file it doesn't like it's okay, fine. that's something i was going to ask you because like we say this is technically not an x-file like it's going to retroactively become an x-file right because of what's going to happen in season seven and that's where i said i was mentioning that there is going to be evidence of the fact that he was seen by someone else as a demon because not necessarily in the show but in the fancy fancy book by paul terry that has like the reproduction supposedly of like the x-files themselves it turns out that after the events of what takes place in season seven twos comes back and gives like his statement about what happened in the funeral home because he has like guilt about like i should have said something because i could have saved people's lives and actually gives like a description and they do like a little artist rendition and that the picture of that in the book right demon face so yeah i mean it's just it's not (sighs) but again this was added this all the stuff was added at the last minute by chris salamander hand carter so that tells you what you need to know it actually doesn't bother me as much as the whole like scully as a victim trope which apparently is going to be continuing in this season which is i hate or the horrendous writing i hate it or the hey remember that michael jackson video part with the whole like face morphing stuff which i think is probably why they put that in there even though it's like three years later but the whole so he's like a budding serial killer right isn't he kind of old to be a budding serial killer? I mean, sort of. I guess he's not really. He's what, 28, you said? He's supposed to be 28. I mean, I would yeah, guess he's like I mean, in his late 30s. It's a little late, but it's not unheard of. Okay. And then also he escalates super fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's... So this is... Okay. So none of this episode, I have so many problems with it. Just from a storytelling perspective, I get it. But like, where's this guy getting a backhoe to like exhume bodies? Like, where? Yeah. even getting this equipment to do this and like because yeah, it's not like he dug the grave up it's not like you know in the olden times when people were just kind of like man digging graves is hard dude we're not gonna really go like the full six feet under right we're just gonna put you down a little to cover you up kind of thing like and it is like super clean and there's like, a ton of dirt on the side so that's definitely i'm glad they mentioned that in a way because there's no way you dug that grave without using a backhoe but yeah where's he getting access and like keys to the backhoe like 
Yeah, I mean, it's just so much of it is just like, I mean, I get why they needed that because they needed it to look like it was a UFO in some way so they could bring Mulder in. It's just the whole thing is really clumsy. And I don't really like the conceit of the episode anyway. I hate the idea of Scully. Like, no wonder she's got, she's never going to get over her PTSD because she's going to keep getting attacked by people and she's going to keep having to like try and believe that, you know, I mean, it's amazing that she doesn't change careers. And it's, I hate it because like, why is not like we talked about this yesterday, but like, if this is, if this was based on Dahmer, it should be dudes. And I'm sure that was because like, hmm. that's gay. Yeah, you don't want to have that on TV. But like, he should have been going after Mulder anyway. So anyhow, Mulder's got that fluffy, fluffy hair. He does. His hair is so fluffy. I just want to pet it. And I bet his nails are probably manicured. Oh God, for sure, one hundred percent. Probably gets the uh, cuticles done. Oh yeah, he probably goes to a manicurist. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway, this episode just was like, eh. and plus it was just so creepy. Like I don't want to see a guy like try and bathe women and murder them for their fingers and the bathing thing is weird it, well i get why he wants to wash their hair because he's like obsessed with their hair i don't get what he's doing with the hair after or why yeah oh, besides like put it in a pillow so yeah it's just the whole thing i mean if you're gonna put it in a pillow you don't really need to worry about how soft it is i don't know well but maybe he doesn't want pillow. like the smell of like hairspray on this pillow when he's oh maybe asleep, right like, okay Whoa. Yeah, so this is not my favorite episode. Aquanet. Oh, my God. Ooh. I know that's shocking. I just didn't like it. And I was like, oh, it's so creepy and gross. And then it's just like, just lean into the fact that it's not an X-File. Just lean into the fact that it's gross, violent crimes. It's wigging Scully out because she's been kidnapped by another guy and dragged up a mountain and vanished for months and doesn't even know what happened to her. And lean into that. And you don't yeah, need to have... it's kind of a shame that, I mean, I, I get it. I can see why they would get pushback of like, I mean, like I said, right. I'm here for the UFOs and the monsters. I'm not here for emotional drama, but at the same time, if you write a good non X files, interesting case, I'll be in for that too. Right. Right. I don't like, but I don't care about the, like, like I just don't care about the personal drama. I care about the story. Yeah. The story um, still needs to be good regardless, because like yeah, I do care. But about I can the- see why they would why they but. would be afraid to not do a paranormal story because this is the X Files. Why isn't there paranormal stuff in here, man? What's right. going on? But, but it's like you should you should be able to do that because they're obviously given a relatively long leash, Mulder and Scully. Yes, and so sometimes they go to investigate something, and it turns out it's not an X File, but they might be the best people to conduct the case. It's like they have, they have a skill set that's not just like weird shit. So, you know? Yeah. And it's just so like, if you're going to do the demon thing, you have to do something to explain it a little bit. You can't just have him appear as a demon and not address it in any way. Like it needs, there needs to be something that comes in that gives you some hint of why, this is include. I don't know. It just didn't work at all for me. I thought it was ridiculous. So. Not that I want to see more of this. If it's going to no. be written like this, no. But again, season two, everyone is a two-parter, right? Because then you could work some of that stuff in, maybe. So. Yeah. So anyway, yep, not my favorite. <laughs> no. I do think if they went with he was breaking into funeral homes yeah okay would okay. be better than digging up graves because like well we, we find out he, he's done it multiple times right we only see it the once 
but like getting like if, especially if they're decomposing like the hair ain't gonna be great right yeah um so anyway yeah yeah well and then like oh so this is the other thing i was gonna mention like his decision to go after scully makes zero sense like yes he's like fascinated with her hair mm-hmm. but like I mean, he's going to get caught anyway because they're on to him before Scully gets back, which he isn't necessarily aware of. Yeah. But, like, why would you go after the FBI agent? You're guaranteed to get hunted down. Like, why well, would not you only go that, after someone who can't... putting a lot of effort into going after Scully. Right. When he's like waiting previously, for he was doing convenience crime. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense that he would even... Because, like, he calls the FBI and he finds out what flight she's on. You know, stuff like that. Like, that's... Mm-hmm it's madness and it makes no sense and it's just like someone they needed a script doctor to come in and be like okay look this doesn't work because the character you've set up who is not a demon in any way would not be doing this he would be moving to another town and starting there or going after the woman who leaves her back door open and her dog, which even then that person's on your route so that's not a good option either if you don't want to get caught but like yeah, yeah the whole thing is just like it's we eh. and then poor scully like in universe this woman is already suffering from like all this stuff and of course she gets attacked again and it's like holy shit give her a break and this isn't the first time that she's been like like i mentioned lazarus earlier right lazarus tombs yep went after her like so many people so anyway scully's had a rough couple years Mm -hmm. yeah I am starting to question whether Chris Carter actually wrote Pilot and Dwayne Barry because (laughs) those are really good and most of his other episodes are not. I mean, as someone who's written some things that are pretty good and some things that are not that good, we have a range. But yeah, yeah, I I mean, I can see that this isn't his best work and I don't get why he loves it so much, except that we know Chris Carter, he loves, like he and Brian Fuller would have a field day. I wish they would collaborate on something because they both have that weird, quirky, gross sense of humor where they're really fascinated by some of the macabre, weird stuff. And so I think they would have a really good time and maybe working together, it would be like Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett coming together for Good Omens and it would just create something super amazing. So I wish they would think about that. I actually don't know who Brian Fuller is. Uh, He did Dead Like Me and he did Wonderfalls. He did Pushing Daisies. He did the new Hannibal, which I was not a huge fan of. I don't know who he is. But does he have that same like inability to think that anything you've done is not the greatest thing ever like chris carter seems to have i don't think so i think everything he's done is super great have not read a ton of articles i mean i think here's what i think about this if you work in tv you work your ass off to get anything on the air and everything you get on the air is probably a victory and i'm sure you could admit that not every single episode is like i mean some people can probably admit that not every single episode is like a golden whatever but i'm sure it's hard to sit there and say like oh no this was really bad we shouldn't have done that because like one you you don't want to make fans angry like so if if i were chris carter and I didn't personally like the way this episode turned out. I wouldn't say that because there's going to be like a handful of fans that think this episode is the greatest thing and got them into the X-Files. And if you but say, oh, yeah, that episode sucks, and you, you're going you to alienate people, those fans. Right. You and so you let people on the Internet know when they're wrong. That's just how so anyway. Works. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Brian Fuller can, can admit when his stuff is not great. Although his stuff is pretty great. Like, I really like Brian Fuller. I think he's got a good sense of humor. He's a good writer. Okay. Not every episode of Pushing Daisies is like 
the best one, but they're all pretty good. I mean, I think he's he's pretty good at what he does. It and- just seems like every episode that 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 us. I mean, I I get we are not the the final arbitrators of X Files, right? No, but like every episode that especially when we have consensus about like, Oh man, what are you doing? There's always some quote from Chris Carter that says he thinks this episode worked out really well. And you're like, what? What? Yeah. what? I mean, I think he has to say that. I think that's it. I think that's all it is. I don't know. I'm just like anything I do, I hate. Right. But you're so, but like, if you had a fan base though, and they're like, wow, I really like Nick Sage's graphic novel, the, whatever and like you're like that's not my best work but you're not going to tell people that's not your best work because it might be probably why i don't have a fan base it might be your but it might be their favorite right so like you're at a convention and they're like i really love this graphic novel you did you're like oh that was my first one it wasn't very good i could have done it better you see all its flaws but you're going to be like oh yeah great i'm glad you love it like that was really fun to write i think it turned out good you know like you're not going to be like oh man no that sucks and you're stupid for liking it well i wouldn't tell them they're stupid for liking it (laughs) but i might be like I, I'm I'm glad you like it because I'm not particularly yeah, a fan of it. But, but um, you know, so yeah. I think it's partly that. And then maybe he really does like this episode and that's fine. I just personally like, just for many, I just didn't love it. It wasn't fun for me to watch. I didn't enjoy watching it. I just thought the demon stuff was stupid. I don't like seeing Scully attacked. I don't like the whole fetish blah stuff. Like I'm just, eh. Yeah. So yeah, before move we on go to our phone. to our ratings, which are probably going to just amaze people because they I'm sure no they'll be shocked. What we're going to rate tens these. all around. Yep. I just have to comment on one little thing that I found super funny, and like I don't like the character of Faster. I don't like the way he is portrayed. I don't like his speech patterns. But I'm not going to say anything bad about the actor because he probably did what he was told to do. Right. So that's yeah. fine. But there is, I love the unintentional humor of Wikipedia sometimes because there's a quote on the Wikipedia entry for this episode that says, so and I'm, his name is, his name is Nick Chinland. So I'm going to say Nick, but the Nick part is not in there. They're just using his last name because they've already discussed him earlier. Like you're supposed to do when you're writing kind of things. But it's all Nick Chinland guest starred on the X-Files second season episode, Irresistible, playing serial killer Donnie Faster for which he garnered major critical acclaim. And then it says, citation needed, which I just, it's hilarious. I just yeah. love that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, he was And for you, he was in season five of Buffy. He played in two episodes. He played Major Ellis. Okay. I don't know if he talked like this. Probably not, because that's the season with, like, the military people, and he was probably okay. just shouting orders or something if he was only in two okay. episodes. He's I been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, the guy's so. really familiar. Like, his face is very familiar. I'm sure He's I've been seen in, like, him. Con Air, and, I mean, I've never seen that because Nicolas Cage. <laughs> anyway. I think but. he did a good job being super creepy and gross, which was the role, so good I guess for so. him. I mean, he yeah. was creepy and gross and weird, and I didn't want to be in a room with him, so did a good job there. Yeah. All right. So ratings. Let's shock, yeah. shock, shock people with these ratings. I'm Do we need any background on your thinking? Uh, yeah, I don't rating? know if I've exposed you might need to, You might need I to go into depth explaining why you're going to rate this the way you rate it, because people might not have some idea of where you're. Yeah, I don't know if we are. have ranted long enough about why we don't like it. I mean, I think it's a two. A two. Yeah, I mean, because it's kind of born again level for me where it's bad. It's, I mean, I I like, I like seeing Kristen Willis. 
That was good. I like Scully talking to someone and trying to work out her feelings. I related to Scully a lot in this episode because I'm exactly that way. Like, no matter how bad things are for me, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm going to push through. And God forbid I let anybody know that I'm having problems or need help or anything is wrong because then I will be weak and I can't allow anyone to see that. And it's a thing I'm working on. But I appreciate, like, I totally get where Scully's coming from. So I relate to her in this episode. I get it. I thought that stuff was fine. And I would actually, I guess they're going to do more of it because I guess the character of the therapist comes back. And I hope that, I hope they do because as she keeps getting attacked, Scully is going to need more and more help. So I think, yeah, I hope, I hope they don't do so many like long focuses on Scully's teary face while she's monologuing. But, right. But, you know, anyway. I like the character. I think that'll be fun. That's about the only thing I liked in this episode, other than that there's some guy at MUFON who like knows a Fox Mulder. And like Box is like, do you know this guy? And Mulder's like, no, but this guy's heard of Mulder. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Other than that, I thought this episode didn't really bring in anything, but it wasn't grossly offensive like Gender Bender. So I have to give it a little more credit than that. And it's going to get a two. Okay. So you also gave Excelsis Day a two. Is that yeah, like it matches? Okay. You know, to be fair, <laughs> Excelsis Day might need to be a three on that scale. <laughs> or maybe was... this needs to be a one. I mean, you're saying uh, it's not gender bender level, but. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with a two. You gave Born Again a 2.5. Okay. Yeah, two. Okay. So two. Yeah. Okay. Two, four. Res- irresistible maybe it's resistible maybe that's why he's just a name it's resistible yeah i am gonna go with a one okay i mean i'm not surprised and also that's fair yeah it's like we've mentioned born again a couple times well you've mentioned born again a couple times it's okay. at that level i think it's born again level for different reasons i mean the born again plot was also a hot mess it was trash it didn't make sense but the acting in Pornigan was also just awful and this one the acting is maybe not so awful although like I say I don't really care for the characterization of Faster and his speech yeah but because it's just like yes I'm not a serial killer he's it's kind of like tombs kind of talk the same way now that I think about it um, yeah I, think, I wonder if I think, Chris Carter thinks that's how serial killers I guess talk. well and also he does he kind of does that same like at the very end he does that same kind of thing that tombs would do where he kind of does that like I'm not a human. I'm an animal living in a world of humans and prey kind of thing where like his head is moving around the bars kind of thing. Like I'm a creepy serial killer. So yeah, maybe that's just how Chris Carter thinks about serial killers. Maybe. But, yeah. There was a, I think, <sighs> I think, I think the tombs guy pulled it off a little bit better. Um, at least in the first one, in the second one, he, he lost it in the second <laughs> one, which is why he did not come back. So again, oh, but, yeah, it sucks because there are so many things I would love to see the X Files bring back, and like the fact that this is one of them, I'm like, and I know, I know exactly why. I know it. I know they had a list of things that people kept asking about, and this was probably on it. And they went to that well. They're like, we need something to do an episode on. Let's explain why this guy is a demon. And I'm like, thanks. I didn't want that at all. Yeah, they're going to do a five-season deep cut for this, which is something that we talked about. That was one of the big problems with Tombs, was that it was just too soon. Right. So... So anyway, when we get to that episode, we'll be very excited to talk. Who knows? Maybe that that episode is actually fantastic. Maybe it is. Chris Carter doesn't write it. I checked. And maybe it's fantastic because maybe it explains all the stuff that didn't make any sense in this one. So maybe it's good. Maybe. 
but we have a ways to go before we get there. So, yep. And this is actually, I think, oh no, he does come back in season three. I did read some commentary that this was, this was kind of like David Nutter's send off episode. So they tried to give him a good one. Hmm. Good job. Um, but he does come <laughs> back later, but I guess he was leaving to go work on some other projects, but he does come back. So I was just checking to see if he does come back and he does. But I guess at the time, this was maybe thought of like this was going to be his last X-Files episode directing. So, okay. Because he had other stuff to go do. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Anyway. Cool. Well, we survived it. We never have to watch it again. No. Hooray. Yeah. Because it's not a Myth Arc episode. I have a I have a thought about Myth Arc episodes, but we'll talk about that later. Mm, so intriguing. Yeah. 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 So next episode will be next week. That's how they work. Uh yep. And, uh, yeah. And I think we're actually getting some uh maybe actual demons in the next episode. Yeah, maybe. You've seen it already. I have seen it. I have not, but I'm aware of the plot. So. Yeah. I was not aware of the plot until I watched it, but yeah. It's funny because they do seem to be doing a lot of like serial killer and devil worship this season. Like it's kind of yeah. They're actually there are some big. Well, not so much. I mean, there actually are. I think there's more myth arc episodes this season than there were last. Oh, maybe not. Maybe that's the opposite. I don't know. I'm scrolling right now and I can't tell. So I'll shut my <laughs> mouth and talk about that later. Anyway. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch season two of The X Files, episode 14, Dehan de Verlitz. And try to figure out if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there. And he's Nick. Wow. Well, that didn't work at all. Hold on. Okay.
<laughs> I probably shouldn't have eaten peanut butter right before we recorded. <laughs> oh, okay. Just shove it on this waffle. All right, it'll be fine. It's like that day um, that I ate like English muffins right before. It was all. <laughs> Oh, it's okay i mean i'm just like what's quick what's quick what do i have <laughs> egg a waffle and some peanut butter Woo! all right uh, okay. 